And now the Exit Coach Radio Show proudly presents the All-Star Review, a compilation of one-minute highlights from past guests. Hear more one-minute highlights and full interviews from these guests at ExitCoachRadio.com. Surviving the exit of the founder or the operator, that's the biggest key. And every client project I work on is heavily weighted towards goodwill. So the value often is in the name, the brand, the phone number, the web address, and a lot of what the founder or the operator has built. So it's difficult to to transfer that. I've got a deal right now, a signed purchase and sale agreement, all ducks in a row, all pieces negotiated. Lawyers have done their parts. The one snag is final piece of financing for the buyer and getting a bank to be comfortable with how heavily weighted this small publishing company is on the founder's knowledge as opposed to on the books. And that's a challenge. And we've got multiple banks looking at it, trying to get one of them comfortable with the buyer is so savvy and so talented that he's going to be able to uh, grow the business beyond what the founder has built, never mind just maintain what he's built. And specifically with uh, CPAs and attorneys, uh, going into areas such as health savings accounts, HSAs, it's an underutilized tool, but one that is growing in popularity and, and frankly, importance. So in those types of firms, you'd see kind of a pyramid of the CEO, senior executives, managers, and then a lot of employees underneath. Do they take advantage of those types of things like uh, high deductible plans and HSAs at, at the partner level? Yeah, they generally do. They're, they see the wisdom of uh, essentially paying themselves instead of paying an insurance company. Uh-huh. If you take the um, the premium differential to go to a higher deductible plan, you take the money you save and you put it into an HSA, it's a way that you can pre-fund for expenses with pre-tax dollars. Uh, again, a very cost-effective tool and, and uh, manner of which to spend your money. have got one client who's got uh, employees in 13 states. Well, mm-hmm. for us, it doesn't matter. For them, that's a huge burden taken off of their backs. Or for a small regional payroll or, or HR or PEO type of a company, that'd be a little bit more of a challenge for multiple states, but you have the resources to take care of that. Yes, we do. In fact, I get referrals, not infrequently, from smaller PEOs who just can't handle the benefits in multi-states or they can't uh, handle the payroll in multiple states. And that's our wheelhouse. That's exactly where we shine. One of our early success stories, and we were able to help a client on the East Coast, and they were manufacturing and distributing baby products, and primarily a real fashionable fabric-type bed. It uh, helped babies. Really a useful product in the market. They were growing like crazy, and Mm -hmm. they had brought on a CFO, and she knew that they needed to have a financing line in place to grow because they were receiving orders that they didn't have the capital to begin the production for those. So Synergy put in a AR factoring line for the company. They were doing about $1 to $2 million in revenue at the time, and we were able to get them this financing line that helped smooth out their cash flows and provided that cash at the right time to grow. And the CFO that we had worked with called me about a year later, and she said, we really want to get a less expensive type of financing. Can you help us? And so we started to take a look, and we could have put them into an asset-based line at that point, which was less expensive, and she was determined to get a bank product. So she went to a couple of banks and she got into an SBA product, which 
sounds great, but it's exactly the thing that she shouldn't have done because she ended up capping the amount of growth the company could have. They had a cap of you know a certain limit, and because it was a bank SBA guaranteed product, they couldn't increase it automatically. Whereas we could have put them into a line where they had less covenants, a more flexible structure. It would have been more expensive, but it would have allowed this company to grow. And this gentleman was referred to me, and he had owned a home, and with the mortgage meltdown, he was actually approached by his existing lender who wanted to be able to take his loan, which had been a stated income loan, and make it marketable. What they offered him was he owed about $750,000. They offered to reduce the principal balance to $550,000 if he would refinance into an FHA loan, which Mm -hmm. would make it marketable, and they could sell it off. So the unfortunate thing is when you do that, it basically is reported as a modified mortgage or as a short sale. And even though he was current, it was a negative impact. And yeah. he was trying to purchase a $1.2 million home. So what ended up happening is we were able to go back and recreate the entire timeline and correspondence and allowed him to be able to purchase a new home with only 20% down, even though he did not meet the guideline, which is typically four years from the date of a short sale. It was his credit going to be affected by that write-down? It, it actually was. And what uh, what occurred was that one of the uh, indicators on a credit report when you have a short sale or a foreclosure is either an I-9 or an I-8. And it's embedded in your credit report. And when the underwriting engine pulls it up, it immediately gives you a declination. The hidden piece that most corporate lawyers don't know about is the regulatory piece, and that's really the business strategy part of it. And so, you know, someone should come in early, whether they're doing a clinic or any online uh, venture or mobile venture involving any kind of health and wellness. It doesn't have to be medical. It could be psychology. It could be life coaching. It could be counseling. It could be a yoga studio. Um, it could be uh, an app that uh, tracks uh, health or that uh, where you upload information and it goes through the app and then you get some kind of, say, a clinical determination based on that and what, what you've uh, inputted. So really anything, uh, it could be a dietary supplement or a medical device, you know, anything in the health and wellness area, especially if it's going to be mobile, online, virtual, um, you need to have a savvy uh, regulatory lawyer take a look at what the issues are and how to navigate them uh, so you can have a sound business model. Yeah. And then the corporate piece and the contract gets layered on top of that. When you really look at the hidden balance sheet uh, that occurs and goes along with claims, you're not just really, it's not just the premiums you're paying, it's the management time that's tied up addressing claims, it's the the supervisor's time that's tie, tied up in addressing claims. And when you really look at what it's costing you, if you spend $10,000 on a claim, they say that it's a 50000 cost to the business. Oh, is that right? It's a five times magnifier because of the soft cost of administrating and the Correct. pulling it all together, all the paperwork and everything. For a simple example, if you have someone who's out for uh, two weeks and you've got to replace them, got the cost of the insurance that potentially can go okay. up, yep. the mm-hmm. replacement of that person, the retraining right. of that person, the lack of productivity that comes out of it, the increased potential for another claim, and all those other things that are residing with it. So when you start to amplify and put all that detail in, it really can be anywhere from a three to five times magnifier like that. 
also look at your business not only from the value point of view, but from the risk point of view. What is it about your business that is likely to make a buyer nervous, that they might get sued for something about your business after the sale? So if you're selling products, a buyer will be worried about product liability. If you're selling those products to the general public, then the buyer will be worried about uh, false advertising and basically consumer class action claims for misleading labeling if it's a food product, for example. On the patent side, they'll be worried about potential claims for infringement from a prior owner of an infringed patent. So to the extent you can speak with a patent lawyer and make sure you've done the research on the prior art and you've got some confidence, then that's going to not only give comfort to the buyer, but it will give comfort to you if and when you're asked to give a rep and warranty that there is no infringement being caused by your own patents that you're selling. And so identifying areas of concern now is a great thing to do in order to start getting the blocks in place so that you're ready to deliver the business in a clean How far in advance should someone get in touch with you? The answer is now. (laughs) A patent protects an invention. It could be an article of manufacture or a process. It could be a method. And patents protect something that does something or is made in a certain way. There's also something called a design patent, which does protect the aesthetic aspects of an otherwise utilitarian product. So the way something looks. Trademarks protect the source of origin of a brand. So that could be a slogan, a logo, a brand name. It could actually be a color or a smell, but it's something that tells you the source of the goods or services. So a trademark and a patent protect different aspects of a product, and it's possible to get patent and trademark and even copyright protection on the same product, but you're protecting different aspects of that same product. What can you do in a minute? At ExitCoachRadio.com, you can listen to a daily tip, idea, or precaution from over 100 top advisors about how to prepare your business for the future. We upload new one-minute tips at 6 a.m. and 1 p.m. daily. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute.